um, talking about the Great Commission and my wife, who is next to me here, um, she's not just some stranger, uh, she's my beloved, um, but um, she's going to wrap and con- conclude our uh, sermon series on the Great Commission. So you're in for a treat if you haven't heard her. Um, I want to do one thing. I just want to pray for us that our ears would be open to hear God's word this morning. Amen. So Father, that's what we do right now. We ask that the Holy Spirit would come upon this group and open our ears to the word of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Good morning. I'm going to give you a little pre-warning. I've had like a weird respiratory thing for like three weeks and it's improving and I'm so much better, but I noticed when I was singing my little lungs out, I probably shouldn't have because then I was like having a hard time and I was like, oh, now I have to talk for about 30 minutes. So um, if I'm a little more, what's the word? I don't want to use a gross word. (laughs) Horse, that's a great word. (laughs) I like it. just bear with me because we're slowly recovering at the Temple household. Um, As Daryl said, today we're going to wrap up. This will be our final message on the Great Commission. And the message title that we have today is The Great Commission for All. And what we're going to do is we're actually going to start in Matthew 28, which is most familiar to us, I think, when when we think about the Great Commission. Um, And before I share anything, I'm just going to give you a little preface as far as um, my life, my experience, and what I do outside of Hilltop, Um, just so you kind of have a little point of reference as we're talking about missions and as we're looking biblically at how the Word of God defines missions. Um, Aside from pastoring with my husband here in Cambridge, um, I also serve on several boards, some of them, and, and when I say that, those are parachurch missionary churches, I'm sorry, parachurch boards, where they're either serving locally, like inner city youth and impoverished, or they're mission sending agencies. So I myself personally have been a part of training about 200 missionaries who are presently serving overseas in the 1040 window. So this is why I'm telling you this, is I have an an affinity, an affection, a respect, um, a love for global missions. And so therefore, as we're discussing that, I want you to understand that. (laughs) But I also want you to understand, I also pastor a local church. And I have a love and an affinity for the local church. And with that said, when we look today biblically at missions, what we will understand is that global missions is not fulfilled outside of the local church reality. First and foremost, that is the context for sending, but also that is the the context for sustaining But ultimately, missionally, I know there's many here that may not be involved with global missions, but you consider yourself a missionary in some context. But this is what I'm going to say to you. When you look at the word of God regarding missions, regarding um, evangelism, regarding the work of the ministry, it is all from and unto the building of the local church. You cannot find a biblical context for parachurch ministry. Now, hear me. I serve, I, mind you, I serve on three, four boards of parachurch. I'm not opposed to it as long as it's functioning in the context of partnering 
to build, establish, and strengthen the local work. Because believers cannot be healthy, they cannot be discipled, they cannot function in their rightful place aside from the local church. So therefore, when we go into the nations, we're not going to make random disciples to just kind of sit there. We're making disciples that then become a part of either establishing local churches or participating in local churches. Because when you look in the Word of God, it specifically says, in 1 Corinthians that your gift is for the building and the edifying of the local church. Guess what? Your gift is not for yourself. So you can say, I'm a prophet. I'm an evangelist. I'm a teacher. I'm a pastor. I'm an apostle. Those gifts that have been given to you are for the building of the local church. And if you are not exercising those gifts in the context of building, strengthening, and edifying the local church, you are not functioning in a biblical context. So this is what I want to say to you here today. We as a church community here, just this year alone, I've written between seven and ten references for missionaries that are are now overseas. Like, they're gone. Like, we already said, bye-bye. They're gone. That's people that personally we've written the reference for and we've prayed for, and they're sent out. That doesn't mean they were sent out from Hilltop Church. Many of those are people that I just would see them in and amongst and around, and they would say, this is my church. Okay, that's cool. And many of those are people that would come and say, hey, I'm going to this place or this location. And I say, that's fun. And then I write their recommendation for, which just in all honesty, usually I don't write it. I usually give it to their small group leader. (laughs) If you don't have a small group leader, it's kind of hard to give you a recommendation. Just going to put that there. Um, Give it to their small group leader. They'll write the reference because they can actually speak to their character and their faithfulness in the local body. But with that said, there's countless others that come through the doors that we aren't the ones actually writing out their references and kind of being their endorsing church or pastor. They've just come through, and from being here in Cambridge, God has envisioned them for the nations of the earth. So I say that to you to say, as a community of people, God's intent and purpose I would say almost specifically because of our geographical location being in Cambridge, is unto the nations of the earth. But with that said, I'm also going to say, as we look in Scripture today, we will find that in the biblical reality, not everyone is called to be a missionary. That when the apostles were gathered together, it was Paul and Barnabas who were sent and commissioned It wasn't that they all should go and that they, so I'm saying this because as much as I serve on a missions board and I help to train and send missionaries, I don't necessarily think if you or you or you don't feel called overseas that you're disobeying the Great Commission. I don't think that that is the call for all of us. I think we all have a part to play and to participate in that fulfillment, that that does not mean that all of you will go. So I'm prefacing all this by saying, how many moms do we have in the room today? Anybody here other than, we have moms. Come on, moms. You have one of the greatest tasks of making disciples right in your home. 
And this is why I want to address this before we go into the word today, is because oftentimes when we talk about missions, I'm going to say this to you, there's ideals. (laughs) We all have really great ideals. And most of you in this place, if you actually have not participated like me for multiple years of watching the trend of missionaries go, and then missionaries come back. (laughs) Missionaries go, not be sustained, have mental breakdowns, don't have financial support, all of those things, and then come back. We have an ideal of what missions looks like, but then there's the reality of what missions look like. And this is what I want to say to you in this place. If you're a mom, or maybe not even a mom, maybe if you just know that the USA is where you are called and you are not going overseas, there's two things I want to say to you. First and foremost, for the moms in the room, Your calling to disciple your children is no less extraordinary than those that are called to China and to the Middle East. The work you are doing and the significance of raising sons and daughters to love Christ wholeheartedly is noble. It is praiseworthy. And so I want you to look at your children as your greatest mission ministry, that they are your mission field. And do you know that that gives us a unique opportunity as well? Because, so, you guys all know, I have a 10-year-old son. We live in a very American neighborhood. (laughs) Dead end here, dead end here. All the kids are out till it's dark, riding bikes and running between yards. But can I tell you something? In that context, I am called to be salt and light. And guess what? In my neighborhood... I don't feel any less missional than when I'm standing and training missionaries that are going to go stand overseas. Meaning when the mom next door is separating from her husband and the children in the neighborhood are all discussing the separation of the people that just moved into a house, a brand new home a year ago, and now the family is splitting. When that mom comes to me and says, you pray, right? Would you pray for me? I guarantee you she had no idea the context of what I was praying. But all I know is the moving truck came that day. They loaded the moving truck, and then they unloaded the moving truck, and she stayed. And I remember when I saw her that evening, she said, I don't know what you prayed, but I'm staying now. (laughs) Can I say something to you? You might think that somehow one context is more noble or worthy than another, but all I know is for the life of those children, it counts to have a Christian that not only declares their faith, but lives their faith and is is light in the midst of darkness. And so this is why I want for every person in this room to understand that as we look at Scripture today, That there is none of us in this place that regardless of our response or our participation in our role in the Great Commission, that any one of those is lesser than or greater than. It's a matter of finding our placement and wherever we are being a testimony to the life and the power of Jesus Christ. But with that said, if you'll turn to Matthew 28, 19. Go therefore... And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. This was Jesus before his ascension that he was giving basically his final call. So this is the call to all of us. 
that you would go therefore into all nations. Basically, the context of what this is saying is all peoples. You should have a heart for all the peoples on the planet. So what that means is, I'm going to say this to you, there's some in this room that are largely patriotic, that somehow you prefer America amongst the nations of the earth and you, you somehow think that there's a superiority or like because we were founded as a Christian nation, there's a weird thing in the charismatic world at this point of weird patriotism. That's not biblical because America is no greater than the other nations. But I'm going to say this to you too. This younger generation has also this very bizarre uh, dislike towards America, that somehow America is not worthy of the investment of us to labor for. So this is what I want to say to you. The heart of God is for all nations and all people. If you or an organization you are a part of exalts one nation or one people, or even in some ways devalues another, they do not have the heart of God for all people. If you can't have eyes of redemption for China, like you can have eyes of redemption for America, you do not have the vision of God for the nations of the earth. So I want to challenge you here today. If you have lack of faith for America, you need to get the heart of God for America. Because I'm going to say this to you. You cannot labor for other people groups if you despise your own. And the same is true. If you have great affection for America, but you have yet to capture God's heart for the nations of the earth, you need to ask God to capture your vision and capture your heart for the nations of the earth. So this is where Jesus said, go ye therefore into all nations. He's giving you global perspective. That it's not one people, one race, one color, one nationality, one continent. That salvation and his scope is for the nations of the earth. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about this word, go. Because for most of us, and I love Keith Green, he basically, you know, he, he was the one that gave the call that basically said, we're all called to go, unless you have a call to stay, you're in disobedience. Anybody remember that famous Keith Green audio? Powerful, amazing, wonderful. But he might not have fully understood the original meaning and the context of that word go in the Greek. That word go doesn't even actually mean that you have to leave your physical context. It means as you go about your way. Yikes. As you're going about your life, as you're going about your schooling, as you're going about your profession, as you're going about your neighborhood, if you're me with all the zillion neighborhood children amassing at my house, as you go about your way in building your business, as you go about your way in feeding the poor in Harvard Square, as you go about your way of serving your mom when there's need in our families that is no less legitimate, as you go about your way, I actually love, <laughs> this is actually what this word go the overwhelming majority will engage in an understanding of that word go that somehow it means we have to leave our given place. But 
For most of us, it is the chosen career path. In the Greek translation, there is more of a sense of sharing the good news as you go. In other words, we are to engage in the enterprise of disciple-making as you go, wherever you go, and whatever you do. The message says it beautifully this way, Matthew 28. Go out and train everyone you meet. Yikes! So guess what that means? It means you don't have to go on a plane to go train. It means you don't have to wait for, some of you are waiting for some supernatural call. Guess what? Your roommate, your neighbor, your deskmate, there's your call. Whoever is surrounding you, you do not wait for an extraordinary moment to share the gospel. You share the gospel in the mundane and in the ordinary. And I'll go so far to say, if you don't begin in that place, you are never going to have your extraordinary moment. Because if you cannot love the one in front of you, what makes you think you're going to be able to love someone in another land who speaks another language with every barrier that will be put in place? Go out and train everyone you meet, far and near, in this way of life, marking them by baptizing them in the threefold name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Then instruct them in the practice of all I have commanded you. I will be with you as you do this, day after day after day, right up until the end of the age. Because this passage of scripture is in all of the Gospels, some of the times that it's translated, it actually says, lo, I will be with you until the end of the age. What that actually is meaning is that the call was not just to the disciples he was speaking to, but that that call goes until the end of the age. That all that name the name of Christ and all that call themselves a disciple, that this is the call and that he will be with us in the fulfilling of that task until he returns. I'd like you to turn with me. So this is what Jesus charges them with. And then you have Acts chapter 1-8. Let's see. Let's turn to Acts chapter 1. Oh, I need to hurry. I have several things I want to do. That was my intro. <laughs> Not my message. <laughs> my message is in Acts chapter 13. We'll get there in a moment. <laughs> Acts chapter 1. Um, okay. This is where Jesus said, um, this is when he gave them the command to go to the upper room and to wait there for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. He said, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So he's letting them know that there is going to be an outpouring of the Holy Spirit and that you will be endued with power, and then you will be witnesses to me. I know all of us want to claim that we're all called to be missionaries, that we're all, and somehow if, if I'm here living in my little suburban America reality and all of those things, that somehow I'm not fulfilling that call. But can I tell you something? Most of the people that we classify as missionaries aren't fulfilling that call as well. 
Because this word witnesses literally means you're being called to be my martyrs, <laughs> to go lay down your life for the sake of the gospel. Can I tell you something? We have to redefine what missions is in our generation and in America, because oftentimes you can never meet a young person that has not done short-term missions. But at the end of the day, short-term missions is mostly for you to go have an international experience. And our hope is, while you're on foreign soil, that somehow the capacity capacity of your heart would be increased and it would be a vehicle that God could move upon you. I'm slowing down. (laughs) And then you become a faithful steward of the missionary call. But for most of us, it's more of an international experience. Because in this generation, and you guys get it, I actually saw the word for so long and I was like, what is that? It's the thing called wonderlust in our generation. We just love new experiences. We love to see new things. We want to be in new places. Can I tell you oftentimes the missionaries that I correspond with and speak with when I begin asking the question of how many people have you shared the gospel with? How many people have you brought to Christ? How many? And I understand, let me just say this to you. I'm not saying that we should measure it in numbers because according to the Moravians, they were willing to sell their lives into slavery for the sake of one soul hearing the gospel. One soul is worthy. One soul is worthy of us giving our life. But can I, can I propose to you something, friends? We have, as much as many missionaries go through the doors here, and I might write their references and all of that, we have one missionary that is fully 100% funded from this congregation. Can I, can I say this to you? As much as that is a very rare thing, and in my circles, even in speaking with other missions organizations, they've never seen that before, even though we're really not a large church. If every church would just take responsibility for the funding and the sending of one missionary, not only would we have the world populated with missionaries, they would be sustained in their place of calling, they would be connected to a local body, and there would be much more health and vitality and sustainability to to the mission's work. But instead we, and I'm going to say this because this is not just about churches, this is us as individuals. We like to sprinkle our little 50 here, sprinkle my little 50 there, I'm going to get 50. Right now we have approximately probably 15 missionaries appealing for financial support. That's the norm for a hilltop church. That's the norm for the temples. (laughs) Can I tell you something? If I just sprinkle 50, $50 to each of those, most of you would be like, well, that's great. 50 for all the 15s of them. At the end of the day, not one of them would be sustained long-term because everybody's sprinkling their little 50. But if I say for one of them, I will take full responsibility that not only will you stay on the field, that if you have lack, we will provide for you. There's a level of commitment and ownership. There's a level of um, relational equity there that is needed for the missions movement, not only to survive, but to thrive. And so this is what we find in Acts chapter 1, that Jesus says to them that you will be the, my witnesses to me in Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts. We need to change our call to missions to the question is, do you want to be a martyr for Jesus Christ? And if you don't want to be a martyr for Jesus Christ, please don't go on your little two-week trip. But if you're willing to give your life 
In the place of laying down your life for the gospel, you are called and you have the grace to be a missionary. There's an entirely different level of commitment that's there. And hear me, I am not at all devaluing short-term missions. I think they have their place. But largely, I think we're addicted to them and we love them. (laughs) We love them in the U.S. They're convenient and, and they don't cost us anything. And they're, yeah, that's what that is. Uh, let's see. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to talk about the first missionary journey that Paul took in Acts chapter 13. So we see the outpourings of the Holy Spirit that have taken place. We see uh, Peter is endued with power and he preaches the word with power. We see 5,000, uh, 3,000 souls are added in one day. Um, and then in Acts chapter 13, this is going to be our main text for today. You don't have to turn there with me, but I'm just going to give you a little reference point. Acts chapter 13, when it opens up prior to that, in Acts chapter 12, I'm just going to read that to you really quickly. Now, about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also, who was during, that days of, during the days of unleavened bread. So when he had arrested him, he put him in prison and delivered him to the four squads of soldiers to keep him, <clears throat> intending, him to bring, uh, intending to bring him before the people at Passover. We're going to, we'll pause and go back to that. <clears throat> so in Acts chapter 13, um, if you'll turn there with me, it says, now in the church. Go ahead and circle, highlight, underlined, explanation point. <laughs> This was taking place in the church. It wasn't some kind of a context of radical, fiery believers that were outside the church because the church was dead and dormant and useless. And, you know, I, I love that our lots of, oftentimes our context for parachurch ministry is because the church is not being what it's supposed to be. But then, for some reason, all of the funding that we seek is from inside that very church that we want to judge for their inability. Because guess what? At the end of the day, the church is what Jesus has raised up to be the answer for the world. Meaning, yes, salvation, but then to be discipled in healthy Christian community within the church. And so here you find our first missionary journey. So we have to have a context for missions according to the word of God. Not according to your preferences, not according to your prejudices, not according to your bad experiences from your childhood, but according to the word of God is where we find our precedence for missionary sending. So now in the church, there you go, highlight, circle, surround it. That was at Antioch. There were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who, um, who was called the Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, and Menin, who had been brought through, uh, sorry, brought, you guys remember my, my eyes, I'm working on it. They actually, I do not need bifocals. They've confirmed that. The strength of my contacts, they're altering so that it's weaker distance so I can focus closer. There you go. <laughs> That's my solution. I have been to the eye doctor. <laughs> Uh, (laughs) Uh, Verse 2, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul 
for the work which I have called them. Then, having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. Okay, let's back up. First and foremost, in the church that was Antioch. So we find that it's in the context of the church. Let's also say there was multiple prophets and teachers that were present there. They were not all called or sent on the missionary journey. They weren't all called or sent. So this is not about some kind of calling that is lesser or greater. There was some from amongst them that were called out for a specific work. Now, if we actually turn back to Luke chapter 11, we're going to find, I'm sorry, do not go to Luke chapter 11. Go to Acts chapter 11, verse uh, 27. Um, And in these days, prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. Then one of them, named Agabus, stood up and showed, showed by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all of the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples each, according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judah. Here we go. This they also did and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. So what do you find actually before Barnabas and Saul slash Paul are sent out on this missionary journey? You find them going and giving resources and strengthening another local body. So first and foremost, they are seen as faithful men. They have a track record of not only being in relationship, but having faithful service. That there's a place of looking and saying, not only can we send you because the Holy Spirit is speaking, we can look and see you have been faithful to steward and faithful to serve. You've been faithful in the task that has been set before you. Um, So they were faithful men giving to the work of the ministry and to actively serving. Can you say it loud? Actively serving. There you go. There's something about actively serving that lends to your credibility. If you then say you want to go and serve overseas, if you have not been actively serving before you go, people will question your credibility and your track record if you had not previously been actively serving. Um, also, this is, this is so key to, to highlight here. In Acts chapter 9, um, it's 15 through 16, we actually find that the, the call of God upon Saul's life was previously identified. So there was previously identified a call that he would be used to bring the gospel to the Gentiles, but yet that does not mean he was commissioned. So there was a calling upon his life, but this was now the appointed time for commissioning and sending. And so all of us as a community of people have to understand that we might feel a sense of calling, but what we want to do is wait for the commissioning of the Holy Spirit. We do not want to commission ourselves. I do not want to commission myself. You should not want to commission yourself. You should want a collective body of spiritual brothers and sisters and elders. In this context, it was prophets and it was teachers that could identify and testify to the activity of the Holy Spirit and in agreement say, God, something, quiet down. <laughs> Slow down. Translators. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> The commissioning of the Holy Spirit. 
You know, I just sat three weeks ago with a beautiful missionary couple that has served overseas in the Middle East. They actually have a geographical location, and when I say there's confirmation, everything from dreams and visions and crazy encounters, that they want to serve amongst a specific group of people. But right now, the organization they serve in has a great need in Nepal. Some of you are like, Nepal, I'd love to go to Nepal. But guess what? That's not their place. That's not where they've studied language. (laughs) There's a, a bunch of hindrances to this. But yet in talking with them, what they've said is, we know the time will come when we are sent to that people group. And for this season, we're going to faithfully serve in Nepal. Young 20-somethings, building families, having babies, (laughs) going to Nepal. But the beauty of it is, and this is what is remarkable, they have a heart for a specific people group. But because the door is not opened to go there yet, they have a heart for all peoples. So they're willing to go, and they're ready to go, and they're eager to go and serve faithfully. But this is what we find. Paul did have a previous calling, but it was at this point in time that his commissioning came and the sending came for him. And then we find this specific language of now separate to me, this issue of separation, that although there's a calling, there's an issue of separation, and it came through prayer and fasting, and it came through the laying on of hands. And once again, I want you to see the context of their separation was not in and of themselves for their own 40 days, locked in a closet while they sought God and came and announced their call to everybody else. Their separation and the prayer and fasting, this context was in the context of community and the context of being sent through community. So their calling was confirmed and affirmed and endorsed by God and fellow ministers. Then they fasted and prayed and then they were sent. This is what I want to close us out with is first and foremost, not every single person in this room is called overseas, but you, all of you, in this room, have a very unique opportunity in that the nations of the earth come to Boston for education. International students from all over the world, I think it's actually called um, Global Immersion, that that website, I think they literally break down like 2,000, well, 1,985 from Turkey are here this year. Like you can literally go through the map, highlight places, And how many students from that geographic location are here? Guess what? You have the unreached people groups of the world at your doorstep here in Boston. 